0: Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would search our hearts, that you would help us to see where our comfort and our security lies. Father, I pray that you would give us strength to trust in your promises. And Lord, I pray that we would hear those promises today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start with three questions. I'm going to ask you these questions, and I want you to think about these questions as we look at the scriptures today. Do you find comfort in God's promises? Do you find comfort in God's promises? Do you find security in God's promises? Do you find security in God's promises? And are you comfortable in the uncomfortable? Are you comfortable in the uncomfortable. So to give some background to where Jacob comes at this, this meeting with Esau, uh, Jacob has an inherited, or will inherit, in the process of inheriting the promises of God, but he's also inheriting the struggle from his father, Abraham, and Isaac, of struggling with the promises of God. Abraham and Sarah were given those promises. They, they followed God uh, in the call to go to a new land that he would show them. The promise of, that they would be a, a made a nation, a blessing, they would be given an heir, they would be protected. But Abraham lies when he goes down to Egypt to Pharaoh, right? That Sarah is his sister, not his wife, for his own protection. And then he lies, and the same thing with Abimelech, right? The king of Gerar. And then when God promises an heir, Sarah and Abraham are thinking, well, we're too too old for this. And Sarah says, well, maybe Hagar. Right? So, Abraham sleeps with Hagar, and they have Ishmael. God comes back and says, no, the promised one will come from Sarah. And they laugh at first, but they still follow that promise, because Isaac is born. Isaac follows in his footsteps of his father Abraham, and he does the same thing with Abimelech and the Philistines, and he lies to him. It says that Rebecca is my sister rather than my wife. And then God's promise is revealed to Rebecca when in her womb, Jacob and Esau are struggling. They're struggling, and she asks, Why is this? And he says, There are two nations warring within you, and the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger. Jacob is born in struggle. (laughs) He comes out holding the heel of his brother Esau, and they name him Jacob. He cheats, he tricks. And this comes true as the promises are given to Rebekah, but the family knows this. We we know that Isaac loves Esau, and uh, Rebekah loves Jacob. And each one of them are working to fulfill the promises of God in the ways they want them to be fulfilled. Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright. Jacob then steals the blessing as he tricks his father into blessing him instead of Esau. It's almost as if Jacob understands the promises, but he feels he has to make the promises come true. He's like competing with God to make his promises come true. We do this sometimes too. We have been on the side of broken promises. So we feel like we have to control to make sure that that promise that's been given to us is fulfilled. Sometimes we do this for our good at the expense of others. Sometimes we have good intentions. But for Jacob, as he, he steals the birthright and he steals the blessing, he realizes Esau does not find favor with Jacob in this. He's not okay with this. So he flees from Esau. Rebekah tells him to go to her brother Laban. And on his flight from Esau... This is the first time he, he, we read that he receives, he, he meets God. Right, there's a ladder of angels descending and ascending, and, and the Lord's there, and he speaks to him in Genesis 28, 13 to 15. He says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread it abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. At this point, Jacob has no wife, fleeing from the land that he's in, running from his brother, going off to a land, so it's probably hard for him to see, well, I don't have a wife. Where's my offspring? <laughs> I'm leaving the land because I'm afraid of my brother. But a lot of this mess that Jacob finds himself in is his attempts to fulfill God's promises to him. So he, he goes to Laban, and there he meets a greater trickster. <laughs> he meets with Rachel at the well, and he wants to marry her. He finds her beautiful, and Laban says, yes, you work for me seven years and you can, you can marry her. So he works for seven years and then it's Leah that he marries. But he still wants Rachel and so Laban says, work for me another seven years and you can marry Rachel. Laban at this point sees that he's being blessed because Jacob is there. He doesn't want Jacob to leave. His wealth is accumulating as well. He's He's being blessed by his livestock growing. He's being blessed by Jacob's presence there because God is with Jacob, and God is blessing Jacob. And then he tricks him for another six years after he finishes the time with, uh, with Rachel because he doesn't want him to leave. So six more years he works for Laban. And finally, finally Jacob decides that we need to go. God comes to him in Genesis 31.3 and says... Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So he knows God's telling him to go back now. But instead of telling Laban, God has told me that I need to return, I'm going to go, he flees. He, he tricks Laban in fleeing, right? And Laban comes after him, right? But before that, he, he, he tells Leah and Rachel in Genesis 31, 5 through 7. He acknowledges God's protection and promises to him, right? He says in Genesis 31, 5 to 7. I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. He says the same thing basically when Laban comes, except in harsher words, especially after Laban does not find the household gods that Rachel stole. He's he's harsh with him. He says, you have done these things to me, but my God has protected me. Now Jacob comes back, and and it's almost like he's hit with it again. Ah, Esau's here. (laughs) I fled from Laban, but now I'm back to where I began before I crossed over and fled from Esau. And he's thinking to himself, all right, well, I will send a party out to Esau. I will let him know that God has blessed me. I have livestock. I have servants now. I have all I need. I'm not here to steal anything else from you. <laughs> right? I'm not going to take anything more from you. Jacob is still trying to, to assure that promise of protection. Right? He sends them messengers to Esau to tell them that. The messengers come back, though, and they say, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. There are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So He's still trying to think, how, how can I protect myself? How can I fulfill God's promise that he's given to me? Well, I'll divide two camps, and at least maybe we'll make one sacrifice. <laughs> but we'll still have one camp. So have one, one blessing. But as he's thinking about this, he prays right after this. This is not in your bulletin, but uh, this is his come-to-Jesus moment, in a sense, right? And Jacob says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I cross this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, surely I will do, good, do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He remembers the promises and he realizes all I have is the promises. All I have is the promises. I am now uncomfortable. (laughs) I am now uncomfortable. Am I going to be comfortable in being uncomfortable? Will my comfort be in God's promises? Will my security be in God's promises? Will I let the Lord show me the path that I should take here? So he thinks again, and he thinks, well, I have two camps. Well, maybe if I take out some of these and offer them as a gift to Jacob, maybe as a restoration of our, our relationship, Maybe we can reconcile. And as he's doing this, he then also takes his wife and his children, and he takes them from both camps, and they, he separates them again, just as plan C, maybe, right? Keep them away so if one of the camps is attacked, it doesn't matter which camp they're in, the camp will be lost, but my, my wife and my children will be, will be safe because they are my offspring. God has said my offspring will be descendants like the sand of the sea. If I lose all my children and my wives, I will not have that. So how do I keep that secure? How do I protect that? So as he's thinking about this, the same night that he makes this plan, and he takes his wives and his children and his two female servants, it says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. Jacob realizes that this isn't just any man. Because if it was just any man, why would it matter if that man blesses him? And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Right? Jacob's remembering, he cheats, he tricks then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You are no longer, he cheats, he tricks, but you are, he strives with God, or God strives for you. His blessing is his name change. His blessing is his name change. God is recognizing that he's striving with him, and he's telling him, Look, in your weakness, I have touched your hip. You, have, you are weak, but you are wrestling. You are wrestling with me now. My promises, I will fulfill. You don't need to fulfill my promises. And whatever you did, whatever you do, you cannot break my promises to you. You cannot break my promises to you. And we know the rest of the story. When Esau comes, the gift that he offers, he doesn't receive. He says, the Lord has blessed me as well. I'm just happy to see you. They hug. But we still know Jacob's a little skeptical because he never goes to visit him in Seir after he he tells him he will come to see him. This is what Jesus is talking about in the parable as well, in striving with God. Because oftentimes we know the promises of God. But what we see in front of us does not look like those promises are being fulfilled. And so at the beginning of the parable, before he tells them the parable of the persistent widow, he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus then is an example of this in the Garden of Gethsemane. he knows what's the next day. (laughs) Just as Jacob was wrestling with that man, knowing that the next day I will need to meet Esau, and there's no way I'm sleeping tonight, even if this guy didn't come to wrestle with me. We all know that that expectation of the next day, that big project, that big expectation, that confrontation, whatever that next day, and it's difficult to sleep that night before. But how do we spend that night? When Jesus is in the garden, he spends that night in prayer. He comes to God. He comes to God. Here, listen from Luke 22 to 40, 46, and when he came to that place, he said to them, his disciples that were with him, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus knows how the kingdom is going to be brought, he knows that that this night he will be captured brought to trial, and the next day he will be on the cross. The disciples yet aren't quite sure that what's going to happen. <laughs> but they know the kingdom needs to come, and they know that Jesus is bringing it. So that the temptation that comes from them from not praying and letting the Lord tell them about how the kingdom will come, Peter strikes out when they're going to capture, right? He strikes out at the, at the guards that come and, and takes off the ear of one of them. Jesus reaches out and heals him says, no, that's not the way that this promise is going to be fulfilled. That's not the way that this promise is going to be fulfilled. We are the new Israel. And we strive with God. We wrestle with God in prayer, asking him to give us justice, just as the widow wrestled with the unrighteous judge. And Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. even if we try to help ourselves right we we know that phrase god helps those who help themselves not in the bible but god helps us even in spite of our try to help ourselves even when we try to make the promises come true god still has that promise and he will help us his promises are not changed by our actions I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's nothing you can do to undo that promise. So oftentimes we find ourselves either working to control the promise of God by selfish ways or by good intentions, right? Good intentions. Let me give you an illustration of this that I heard once that I thought applies to this situation. So... Someone told me a story of a, of a boy who hears his father come home from work and they have, they have cookies and milk every time the father comes home, right? So the boy runs to the kitchen when he hears the father come in and he says, ah, I'm going to get everything ready for this cookies and milk. So he climbs up the cabinets that he's not supposed to do. He opens up the, the cupboard, grabs a cup and brings it, puts it in the center of the kitchen. Then he runs over and he climbs up the cabinet, gets the cookie jar, which he's not supposed to do, pulls it down. Some of them fall out, grabs the cookies out of it, crumbs are everywhere, puts it on the floor next to the cup of milk. Then he goes into the refrigerator, opens up the refrigerator, grabs the gallon of milk, brings it out, unscrews the top, tries to get as much milk in the cup as he can, but it spills all over the floor. The whole time that he's doing this, the father's in the doorway watching him do this, smiling, because he knows the joy on his son's face and desire to have cookies and milk with his father because he's come home. Those are the good intentions that we have. We, we want to be like that. But let me, let me tell the story a little bit different. <laughs> what if the boy thought, my dad's home, and instead of getting everything ready, I know my dad can get the milk and cookies much better than I can, so I'm going to run and greet him at the door. And he will pick me up, and we will do this together. We will do this together. He will get the cup out. I won't break any of the rules. <laughs> and my intentions are to be with my father, because I know his promises, his work is what brings his promises true into the best way possible. Paul tells us in uh, Colossians 1 28 to 29, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the work. But he says, For this I toil struggling with all his energy. But he powerfully works within me, struggling with all his energy. He fills us with the Spirit, but sometimes we're that boy that gets all the stuff out and spills all over the place. Sometimes we're just running to the Father. In Colossians 4.12, Paul explains this more with Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, one who is... Uh, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. The will of God, the desires for you, the promises that he gives to you that you are fully assured in those promises. This is what we work for. This is what we work towards, not just in the things we do, but in our prayers. If you know we are to do these things, we we have the commitment, go to all the nations and tell tell them about God, right? Do we first come to God and ask, how do we do this? What is your path for doing this? Or do we run off and try to do it ourselves on our own strength? When he says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. And when I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they say, we do not know when we did that. They're doing it with God. Because when you do it with God, you, you don't... You don't try to do it on your own strength, and so you don't try to do it because it makes you feel good about yourself or for your own desires, right? When you do it with God, you do it because you want to see God in that person's life. You want the gift that you've been given in that person's life, and you want them to know the promises of God so that they can embrace them too. It's not always comfortable when we're not in control. It's rarely comfortable <laughs> when we're not in control. So I ask you again these questions. Do you find comfort in God's promises? Do you find comfort in God's promises? Do you find security in God's promises? Do you find security in God's promises? And are you comfortable in the uncomfortable? Are you comfortable in the uncomfortable? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us comfort in you and in your promises. And Father, I pray that when we do not know what we are to do, we would ask. We would ask, Father, for you will give us understanding. You will lead us. You will teach us. You will show us. Father, help us to ask when we don't understand, when we don't know, that we might be comfortable in the uncomfortable We pray and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.